Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for the next episode. Just late. All things cosmetic. I'm here with Kane and with Link, and we're going to talk about fillers. And I will tell you something funny. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Did you press the record button? I did. I did this time. I did not. This time. So Everybody, you just missed the best podcast <laughs> that we just did without recording it. Uh, so now we're going to try it again. So, okay. So Kane had a good idea because fillers is a broad topic, and we're going to kind of piecemeal this into different episodes. But Kane, what are we going to talk about today with fillers? Well, it's not just a broad topic. It's a topic that a lot of people are already familiar with. A lot of people have probably already had it done. And so I got to thinking, you know, it's there's a lot of nuance to it. I'm familiar with it because you do filler injections all day long. And so I have a familiarity, but what would I want to know if somebody recommended, hey, Kane, you need filler? And so the first thing I, I would want to know is, you know, what? What is filler? What type of filler? I know there's a di- lot of different types of filler. So just kind of broadly talk about that. Number two is why do I need it? What's going on with the aging process that would that filler would address? And then number three is kind of where do you place it? There is a lot of, that's where the skill set comes in. I think knowing where to place it and more importantly, maybe how to place it. And then the fourth thing would be just what are some possible complications that I should be aware of? So those are the four things. What, why, where, how, and what are the possible complications? Okay. So let's start with the what. And I'm going to actually preface this with a little bit of history on kind of soft tissue fillers and whatnot. So back in the 1970s, researchers at Stanford actually came up with bovine collagen. And so bovine is from a cow. And so this type of collagen had a high allergy rate to it. And so what they'd have to do is they'd have to test it. They'd have to do two tests to make sure it's compatible. About three to 5% of of people are actually allergic to the bovine component. So while this was an idea, then they started to come up with, and that was actually FDA cleared in 1981. But then what came about was a human form of it. And the only issue with collagen, and we knew it as Cosmoplast, Cosmoderm, was that it lasted only for three months. So you would go through these injections that were a little bit painful. There was no lidocaine in it as we have it now, and it would only last for three months. So you couldn't really fill your basically at that stage chasing lines and wrinkles. Now, fast forward to about 2004, where a non-animal-based hyaluronic acid came about and Kane, do you know what hyaluronic acid? No, I don't. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a sugar molecule. Okay. So sugar molecules. So and a, thanks for putting me on the spot. Sorry, sorry. It came about, and that was Restylane. So Restylane was really the first HA that came to market, and shortly thereafter, Juvederm followed it, and those were the fillers that we utilized for a long time. Radius came to the party, et cetera, et cetera. Some other things. Sculpture was there in 2004 too, which we'll talk about. But then in 2018, a big change occurred in fillers, and it made me love fillers even that much more. And that is Restylane. The Restylane family came out with expression technology, which means that these fillers could then integrate with the tissue better and could kind of move with the tissue better. So when you smile, the filler smiled with you, which was lovely. It was more natural in appearance. And then finally, in 2020, RHA, Resilient hyaluronic acid has their own subset of fillers, which I love a lot as well. So I've gravitated more towards these two lines of fillers. The latest innovation that's that's come out the past couple of years. Correct. The most natural type of results, in my opinion. And that's why I've gravitated to these two. Which is what people are after, right? Is that, that, subtle, that subtle improvement. Correct. They want to look rejuvenated. They don't want to look like 
freaky filler face, as you call it. <laughs> and so, and there is, you know, and w- why does freaky filler face occur? So freaky filler face occurs because people are utilizing, A, maybe the filler is being placed in the wrong area, but two, once someone has, once the volume loss has been restored, you don't want to do any more than that. You want to be able just to put it back. And then, for example, if there's still laxity present, but they're filled, putting more filler in is not going to lift them more or do any of those type of things. That's when other type of procedures might be done, lasers, maybe PDO threads, or possibly even surgery, you know, maybe a facelift is what But there is that, that there is a segment of the population that has that mindset that I just need more and more and more. And that's where you start to look distorted and it just doesn't look right. Correct. Or if you try to chase lines and wrinkles with fillers, that's not an indication either anymore. You, if someone's already filled, but they have a line, well, that's more of a skin issue that might be addressed with with different uh, various types of lasers. So as a practitioner and somebody comes in to talk to you about filler, what are you what are you discussing with them to for for the goal that you have in mind? You want to be able to replace their lost volume. And we show them, we kind of draw on them to show them the areas that are lost. And what's interesting is how we age is so different. You know, when we in our 20s, we do begin to lose fat, facial fat, and especially around the eyes. That's where younger patients lose their fat. And then we start to lose deeper fat. And we also start to get some laxity to our ligaments, our retaining ligaments that kind of hold things up as well. And we lose bone. So there's multiple things that we're losing as we age. But we want to be able to restore the volume. Sometimes when there's bone loss, especially in the jawline, we'll replace filler there as well to give a restoration, but not more than that. So you re- so there's a number of things happening. It's not just, hey, I'm trying to fill an area. but you have fat loss, you have ligament laxity going on, and you've got bone loss. So and collagen elastin loss too. So. so there's a number of different things going on, and there's there's a lot more nuance than just hey, just inject some filler somewhere. There's there's actual skill to it. Correct, and you know the the areas where we inject, and this has to do with the type of product. So for example, we do the lateral cheek area if someone's lost a lot of volume there. I get descent of their tissue over the nasolabial fold area. We place it in the nasolabial fold. We put it in the marionette lines. Certainly we place it in the lips, which has become a very popular thing. And I will say that every face is unique and beautiful and you don't want to, it's almost like sometimes patients come in with a picture of a haircut, but a picture of a lip and they'll say, I want these lips. Okay. We understand that you want a full lip, but if you're starting off small, it might take um, several sessions to get to a larger lip size. So it might take a year or two years to get there. The one thing that- Why is, is that? Why would it take so long? Because you don't want to put too much too quickly in a smaller lip. Otherwise, you can get filler migration around the lip. So you want to respect the anatomy. And over time, the lips will start to build a little collagen and elastin, and they'll stretch a little bit as well, where more filler can be placed at a different time. And so, so that's kind of the reason for what that. are some of the common areas that that you can address with fillers quite so, nicely? So again, cheek area, that lateral cheek area, nasolabial fold, lips, net lines, jawline, even the earlobes. I placed filler in the earlobes. And what was interesting is when I was doing my fellowship out in California back in 2007, um, patients were coming in and they wanted to have the balls of their feet injected so that they would have, they would be able to wear their high heel shoes. Oh, I thought so they could jump higher, have a little <laughs> more spring in their jump. <laughs> no, so they could wear their, you know, uh, their stilettos and they would be more comfortable. We've even injected hands. The back of the hands is very popular to inject there. There's actually two fillers that are FDA cleared for that 
Restylane Lift, and Radius. But you can use fillers off-label, other fillers in, in various areas. Well, you too. mentioned a different, a lot of different fillers. And within even these families of fillers, the Juvederm family, the Restylane family, the RHA family, there's different fillers just within those families. So how do you like just determine this is the right filler for this particular area on this particular person? So it's the properties of the filler. So if I want to lift more, I might pick a stiffer type of filler, one that that rebounds back to its shape. So I might choose that so it could lift a little bit more. For the lips, I might choose a softer type of filler. For the jawline, I might choose the radius, which more resembles bone. So different areas. And I tell you, we also fill the, the buttock area. That's another area that, that patients like to have fill. It does take a lot of filler for that area, but that is another zone as well. So you mentioned a lot of filler. So typically when somebody comes in, like, is there a, is there a typical amount of filler that you would recommend somebody have, or is it just? It's based on their volume loss. But first to understand that a filler cane is one milliliter. And one milliliter, just to put it in perspective, if you were to go downstairs and get a teaspoon, I would need five syringes to fill that teaspoon up. One milliliter is 20% of a teaspoon. So it's not a lot. You wouldn't think that. When you see that syringe, you wouldn't think that there's really that little filler in there. There's that little. I always say that the company that's going to really when will be the company that puts just a little bit more. So RHA actually puts 1.2 milliliters in their syringe and Radius is 1.5 milliliters. But typically the, the Juvederms and the Restylane's are one milliliter and they're hyaluronic acid. That's the good thing, which means it is a humectant, which pulls in a little fluid. So you do get a little more filling effect that occurs. It's like a little sponge. Like a little sponge. So I always tell patients that while you see the filler when I'm done, there's going to be some swelling but the the true extent of where you're going to see your filler is going to be at two weeks. Just give it that time. And that's if you need more, wait two weeks to a month before adding more. But for example, if I've got a patient that has a lot of volume loss, I might say, okay, you need three to four syringes, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Remember, it's less than a teaspoon. So why would you separate it? Why would you, why would you have them come back for more? Sure, because as we begin to inject, what happens is, we then can cause a little swelling. So when you're on your third syringe, you're going to cause a little bit of swelling. And I also want to see how everything settles out to see where more might be needed. So I always think it's good to kind of stop at three to four syringes and then reevaluate in about a month. Well, you mentioned that expression technology with wrestling. Would that start because it integrates a little bit better? Would that, would you start to see that integration after a couple of weeks already? Oh yes, you will. Yeah. In okay. about two weeks, you'll start to see that. And so, and then also the RHA has that resilient hyaluronic acid as well. But yes, filler is wonderful, wonderful to restore and no more. I was trying to find that. So that is the phrase that saves restore and no more. And what we're going to do is now this is our Thanksgiving break. So when we return on Monday, the first Three patients, which will probably last all of five minutes. Yeah, they'll probably be on the voicemail by the time we get back. <laughs> okay. But the first three patients that call in will get a wrestling syringe. We have three coupons, which will take $75 off. So the phrase again is or and no more. And because no more. that's what we want to do with faces. We want to be able to restore the volume, but we do not want to add more to the face. Very subtle enhancement, but not to where it's distorted. Correct. And how do we do filler? You would ask that question. So when I do the face, I 
like to use a micro cannula. A micro cannula has got a blunt tip to it. I use a 22 gauge micro cannula, which allows us to push little vessels away. It's safer for the face. So you don't cannulate an artery with it. Cannulate means stick it. Stick it. And if you put, if you stick your artery and put filler in, that's the dreaded uh, complication of arterial occlusion, which can lead to skin death. It can also lead to blindness, depending on where you are doing that. So definitely, definitely, I'm a big cannula fan. I do use a needle for the lips. I do not do filler to the area between the brows. That is a supertrochlear artery lives right there. And that's where you can really increase your chance of blindness. So I do not do that. I put PDO, smooth PDO threads there, much, much safer and can also give a nice result in that location. So use micro cannula primarily because it's safer? It's safer. It bruises less. I don't want to say you will not bruise at all because clearly you can. Certain areas that I have to go into might nick a little vessel as I'm going in with my, you have to use a needle to get the cannula in. So certainly you can bruise and always kind of kind of prepare for that. And then if you don't bruise, great. If you do bruise, then you have um, preparation. For Why that. wouldn't you use it for the lip? The lips are, I have used cannulas and lips, but lips you can get crisper with a little tiny needle there. So is that is that fairly standard in the industry is to use micro cannulas pretty much anywhere than other than the lip or is it's that just... It's becoming the standard and I think it should be the standard of care, but it's becoming that. There's a little more technique that has to be learned with a cannula, but once you pick up the cannula, it's it's really quite easy. Okay. So when we so we've talked about the different types of fillers. We've talked about why we need fillers. We've talked about where you place it and how you place it, which is very important. And then you talked a little bit about the big complication. Are there anything? Or is there anything else that, as a patient, I should be aware of that could occur? Sure. So can an infection occur? Sure, an infection can occur. We always want to keep the area clean as we're doing this. We use HibaCleanse and we use hypochloric acid when we cleanse over the skin. So that's probably a very small, as long as good technique is is done there as well. Granulomas could occur. In fact, there were some... What is a granuloma? Granuloma is almost like a little nodule that can occur. And we were seeing that with some of the Vicross technology products where there was a 1.6% granuloma risk. I don't use the Vicross technology products anymore. I primarily use the, the Restlands. They're good products, but there is a slightly higher granuloma risk. And one more thing to talk about too is from a, you know, we talk, we're talking about fillers itself, but there's also a category of biostimulators. And so in that category falls two products. One is Radius, which does fill. Well, let's back up. When you say biostimulator, what does that mean? It means you're stimulating your own collagen and elastin to fill those zones in. So while Radius is in a carrier gel, there is a filler component to it, it also has this biostimulatory property. So I like Radius for multiple reasons as well. I don't like it for areas around, again, where I want a lot of movement that I just use my HAs because those integrate the best. Radius, I do it more for, again, over bone, so lateral cheek or the jawline. But Sculptra is another one that is only a biostimulatory. It doesn't have filler property to it. It just stimulates your own natural collagen and elastin. The only thing about Sculptra, and I do love it, is you have to be patient. So if you think about filler, filler is almost like your sod or your grass that you lay down. Instant lawn. 
Instant lawn is filler. Okay. Whereas Sculptra is your seed. So you're laying down this these little PLLA granules that that basically has to create your elastin and collagen. Now, I don't like Sculptra, again, around the circular muscles, around the mouth or around the eyes, because again, the risk of granuloma formation, if you're, which means that it's a basically a contained area of collagen, essentially. So I don't use it for those areas, but I love it for the deep injections of the lateral face. So you have Sculptra, which is stimulating your own elastin and collagen. You have Radius, which is stimulating your own elastin and collagen, but also has some filler properties. So you can get a little bit of both. And then you have your fillers. And then you have your HA fillers, correct. And and you're trying to accomplish this nice, subtle, kind of refreshed look. How long would I expect that look to last? So with fillers, they can last anywhere between nine months to 15 months, depending on the filler that you select. With Sculptra, it can last, once you get to goal, up to 25 months. So it's a little bit longer lasting, but it takes multiple sessions to get there, depending on your degree of volume loss. Okay. But what's important to kind of recognize and is, and Dr. Laura Dave Gunn had a good analogy with this. And what she said was, if you think about an ice cube that melts at about 10 minutes, right? At five minutes, a portion of that ice cube has already melted. There's a little bit of a puddle that's still there. And at 10 minutes, all of the ice cube has melted. Same thing with filler. When we say 15 months, it's not that you'll look good, 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 good for 15 months and boom. Off a cliff. Off a cliff. It's not like that. It means that there's subtle degradation that occurs along the way. And certainly if we're starting out a little bit more subtle or a little bit more conservative with our filler, we might start to see that loss at six to nine months where we might say, hmm, I had three syringes. I might need a touch up with one syringe to, to sustain me for a little bit longer. So is that what you see? About six to nine months, you may want to come in for just a little touch up you may. potentially? You may, but a lot of times once you've really filled a person in for, for some time, they really are about a year or so before okay. they feel like they need more. Okay. So once again, the phrase that saves is, is what is it? Restore, it is restore and, and no, no more. more because we just want that nice, subtle, refreshed look, not Correct. overfilled. Correct. And, and I have, have three. And you have three. three. Okay. That's it. So otherwise, that's kind of the, the starting of fillers. And again, we'll delve more and more into fillers in later episodes. And I think the next one, though, we're going to deviate away from fillers. I think the next top topic is going to be toxins. So the toxins that exist. That's probably the most well-recognized topic to cover. But again, there's a lot of nuance to it. There is. And there's some exciting news coming out in 2023 with toxin as well. So that is it. All right. Thanks for listening, Happy everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.